my brother and I felt like heroes. We were wild adventurers. Uh, there was all this uh, sort of forest and bushland as far as the eye could see. Um, little dirt tracks that came from nowhere and went to nowhere. There was no one around us. We would run to the top of every little hill and uh, cup our hands over our mouths and yell, cooey, <laughs> hoping that someone would find us. This was like the stuff of movies. This was, you know, every little kid, maybe I'm seven years old, my brother's five, and this is, this is every kid's dream of being, you know, lost in the wilderness and, and, you know, just you living off the, like, kind of Tarzan sort of thing. Um, my mother would tell me many years later um, that, she went along with our excitement and enthusiasm, um, figuring that if we were happy and excited, that was better than us being, you know, kind of scared or worried. She would say, so on the outside, she was kind of going along with the game, but on the inside, she was scared that we might die. Um, <clears throat> my family and I took a family holiday to Kangaroo Island when I was about seven. My brother was about five. We took my dad's old Ford Falcon, uh, and we drove all around the island. And this day, we'd gone into Flinders Chase National Park, uh, which is just this sort of endless scrub uh, uh, in the bottom end of KI. And we'd found this picnic spot, and we had our little picnic lunch, and there was a little trail leading from the picnic spot. And Dad said, got a good idea. Um, uh, Mum, if you and the two kids, if you guys walk through that track, I'll pack up uh, the lunch. I'll drive around, because that track goes through to a road on the other side. I'll drive around and I'll pick you up on the other side. It was a really great idea. It, uh, unfortunately, that track didn't lead to the road on the other side. In fact, that track didn't lead anywhere. Um, uh, we found out later it was a wild goat track, like a track made by wild goats that live on the island, and it went nowhere. It just went deep into hundreds of kilometres of scrub. And so, I kid you, this sounds funny now, but hours later, uh, my mum, with a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, with no communication, no water, no shelter, uh, nothing to keep us warm at night, we were lost. We were seriously lost uh, in, the middle of this, in the middle of this scrub. Um, like I said, my brother and I thought it was fantastic. We didn't think we were lost. We thought we were on an adventure, but we were lost. We were well and truly lost. And uh, by the grace of God, eventually we stumbled across a dirt road and mum had the presence of mind to say, we'll just stay on the dirt road. We won't, you know, kind of keep going on the track. And so we wandered down the dirt road and eventually a park ranger uh, came along the road because um, we didn't know, but there was a full scale like search and rescue mission. <laughs> Uh, going on by this stage. There were rangers and people all over the park trying to find uh, these lost people. And eventually a park ranger came along in his four-wheel drive, um, stopped and we were rescued and the whole thing uh, became a fun story. Um, uh, but it wasn't, as I said, it wasn't kind of so fun at the time. Um, and actually, I can't remember anything else about that holiday. Uh, I can't tell you where we stayed. I can't tell you anything else that we saw all I, can, all I can remember from that holiday is that experience of being lost and then of getting found. Um, we're in a series that we're calling Hidden Treasure uh, here at Tide and we've been um, 
we've been exploring what the writers of the Bible have to say about treasure. Because the Bible writers talk about treasure quite a bit. And often when they talk about treasure, they're talking about silver and gold and stuff like that. Um, But equally often, the writers of the Bible talk about treasure in a different way. Jesus talks a lot about treasure. Um, He says things like, um, there's treasure in heaven. He talks about people's hearts and says, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. He often used the word treasure to talk about the things of God. In Jesus' time, uh, finding treasure, uh, buried treasure, the idea of treasure, was a bit like we would now talk about winning the lottery. You know, we don't really think about, you know, finding treasure, but in Jesus' day, it was sort of a thing. And, and for them, it was a bit like winning the lottery. They sort of thought about and dreamt about it. it was the stuff that kids talked about after school. You know, what would you do if you found treasure? And it really got me thinking because um, we don't talk about the things of God much like treasure. You know, I mean, maybe you come to church, maybe you read the Bible occasionally, you might pray, you might be a part of a small group, but you don't hear people talking about going to church like winning the lottery. You know, you don't, you don't hear people talking about being a part of a church community like you found, you know, like, like, like you're wealthy beyond your wildest dreams with treasure. And so I, I got to thinking, maybe we're missing something. Maybe when Jesus talks all about treasure and about the things of God as treasure, and maybe we're missing something if we don't see it that way. And so in this series, we've been treasure hunting. We've been digging in to, to some of these, uh, these stories about and these explanations and these comments around treasure and asking ourselves, what do these tell us about faith? And particularly, what do these tell us about faith and God in the 21st century? Uh, We began looking at a short story that Jesus told, literally just a one-sentence story, uh, where Jesus talks about God, talks about life with God like treasure. And he says that discovering God, you know, sort of finding the reality of God in your life is like finding buried treasure. And when you find that, when, when you really understand how valuable that is, you'd sell everything else to get that one thing. You know, you would trade anything else in your life to get that treasure, to get a relationship with God when you really understand how amazing and how extraordinary that thing is. Last week, we talked about Paul's idea, uh, an idea that he got from Jesus, that we are like, and the phrase he used, we are like treasure in jars of clay. He says that, Um, While we might look and feel sort of ordinary on the outside, while we might feel and look fairly commonplace on the outside, that for every Christian, for every person who says yes to Jesus in their life, that there is a treasure that lives on the inside of you. There is something extraordinarily valuable inside a Christian person, and that is the Spirit of God. That is the presence of God that that lives, uh, that look kind of literally inside each of us. Today, we're going to take a look at another story that Jesus told, a story where he talks about the value of treasure, and particularly where he talks about the value of lost treasure. He talks about what it is to find lost treasure. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to jump back into Luke's Gospel. Um, So about two-thirds of the way through your uh, Bible, if you've got a a paper one, 
Um, you'll find the boys' names, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Luke's the third of those. If you've got a digital device, um, scroll through the list of books and you'll find Luke about two-thirds of the way, three-quarters of the way toward the bottom of the list. We're in Luke chapter 15, uh, which is about two-thirds of the way through the book of Luke. I'm going to begin reading from verse 8, if you're following along. If you're not, uh, listen to these words from Jesus. Jesus is speaking to people around him and he says this. He says, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, rejoice with me. I've found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus tells a story about a woman who has 10 coins and loses one. And we all know that feeling, maybe not coins, but we all know that feeling of losing something in your house. You know that? where You know it's in the house somewhere. It has to be in the house somewhere, but you just can't find it. She knows it's in the house and so she goes crazy trying to find it. She's uh, moving couches, she's kneeling down with her iPhone, you know, under the TV cabinet, you know, sort of seeing if it's if it's slidden in, in under there. She's moving her kids' clothes off the floor because everyone has kids with clothes all over the floor. She's moving the kids' clothes off the floor, you know, to see if it's there. She's doing whatever she can to try and find this coin that she knows is lost in her house somewhere. And when she finds it, When she finds it, she jumps straight onto social media. Uh, She shares the story with her friends, hashtag found, hashtag so happy. Uh, She wants to tell everyone about the joy she has in finding this lost coin. But of course, Jesus isn't really talking about lost coins, is he? He's not really talking about things that we lose around the house. Jesus is talking about people. And his message is pretty clear. His message in this story is that people are valuable to God. That lost people matter to God. And when, uh, when Jesus and when the Bible talks about lost people, it's talking about people who are lost from God. Not that God doesn't know them and doesn't know where they are, but people who've lost that sense that there is a God who knows them and loves them, that have lost that sense of relationship and intimacy that comes with a life with God. That's what it means when it talks about lost people. And Jesus is saying that those people, that lost people matter to God because they're valuable. Because they have a value to them like a silver coin lost in a house. And Jesus is teaching us uh, that when we search for and when we find, when lost people get found, there's a party. There's a party. Now, you might think, oh, that's nice. You know, it's nice. There's a party. You know, lost people. But I want to tell you, this is a really radical idea for Jesus' listeners and for some of us. You see, because first century Jews believed that you had to be good to be accepted by God. And, that, and a lot of people actually still uh, you know, think like this today, that you have to be good and do good in order for God to like you, uh, certainly in order for God to love you, in order for God to accept you. And, and, and so 
Following from that, the Jews believed that if you got spiritually lost, if you sinned or you did the wrong thing by God, if you ignored God, if you walked away from God, it was your problem. And that you had to find the solution to being lost. That you had to kind of pay the penalty, that you had to make up for it, that you had to fix things between yourself and God. You had to sort of come groveling back to God and say, look, you know, I messed up, I ran away, now I'm back. You know, I've bought this to show that I'm, I'm a good person. Am I okay? That it was all up to you. No one was going to come looking for you if you were lost. It was your problem to come back to God. And Jesus tells a story about a God who gets down on his hands and knees metaphorically to dig under uh, you know, the dirt and the, uh, uh, the old jaffers and things that are hiding under your couch. He talks about a story of a God who lives like that to find lost people. A God that goes out of his way to search and to sweep uh, and to do whatever he can to find lost people and to bring him back to them. This is a big deal. This is a game changer for the people who are hearing Jesus tell this story. It's a game changer because many of them feel like they're lost. Many of them feel like they haven't done the right thing by God. Many of them feel like uh, they must be sort of distanced from God because they're not perfect. And many of us probably feel kind of the same way. The story we read is actually part of three stories that Luke's strings together. If you, if you kind of look before and after this story, you'll see there's a story about a lost sheep, there's a story about a lost coin, and there's a story about a lost son. And they all follow the same sort of basic structure. Um, something gets lost, there's a, a God figure who goes searching for it, and when that something gets found, there's a party. And so you should sort of ask yourself, why all three stories? You know, why does Luke want to include all three of these stories? He could have just told one of these stories and we would have got the lesson. Because they, they all kind of make the same sort of lesson. They're all the, along the similar sort of lines. What is it that Luke wants us to know by including all three stories? Uh, first, it tells us how important this idea is to Luke. By him including all three stories, it's like Luke saying to us, Jesus talked about this stuff all the time, right? It's as if Luke's saying, there was a story about the lost sheep, there was a lost coin, there was a lost son. He just wouldn't shut up about lost stuff. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's Luke's way of saying, this thing was a big deal to Jesus. He talked about it wherever he went, with whoever he was. He was always talking about these lost people, thing, coin, sheep stories, and of course, it's not just these stories. Uh, uh, Luke tells us in, math, in Luke 19, verse 10, uh, uh, this sort of part of the commentary says, the Son of Man, which was a, a phrase for Jesus, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Uh, Matthew quotes Jesus saying the same thing uh, in his gospel, in his account of Jesus' life. In fact, there's lots of other stories and interactions and things that happen in and around the life of Jesus that all back up this idea that what we're talking about today was a really important thing 
to Jesus. It was a big deal. It wasn't something that he talked about, you know, once at that party. This was a recurring theme that Jesus thought about and talked about and shared with people again and again and again and again. But I actually think there's more to it than that. Because there's some subtle differences in these stories that are actually important. I mean, if, if you think about it, uh, think about the sheep and the coin. You know, a sheep wanders off. You know, a sheep sort of makes a decision to say, well, the flock and the shepherd are here, but I'm going to go over here. But a coin doesn't make that decision. A coin just sort of gets lost. You know, someone else drops the coin. The coin doesn't make a decision to get lost. So, so I think subtly in these stories, there's a way that Jesus is saying, you know, there are some people that sort of get lost on purpose. You know, there are some people that deliberately walk away from God. But, you know, there are some people that don't. There are some people that are more like the coin and, and, and they don't kind of deliberately walk away. From, it just happens. You know, they're, they're just lost. They, they, they can't tell you, well, you know, I made a decision that, that God wasn't real. It just happened in their life. And by including both of these stories, Luke wants us to know that for Jesus, both of those sorts of people are important to him. And that in both those situations, Jesus sees value in the person, whether a person walks deliberately from God or whether a person just finds themselves there in life. Everybody has value to God. The sheep belong to the shepherd, but the coin belongs to the king. A, a coin has, a, and coins still have this today, the coins had the imprint of Caesar on the back of it. Coins bore the image of the mark of the king of the emperor of Caesar. Where have I heard that before? You know, where have you heard that before? The very beginning of the Bible. Genesis 1.26, when God first creates people, what does he say? He says, let us make mankind, let us make men and women, let us make man in our image. And he made them in his likeness. It's like saying the people have worth because they've got the stamp of the king. They've got the stamp of God on them. Can you see that? We're made in the image, in the likeness of God. It's like you've got the stamp of God on your life. You will never meet someone who isn't valuable to God. Uh, We discovered last week um, when we were talking about us as treasure in jars of clay that there's something happens when a person says yes to Jesus, that the presence of God comes to live inside them. There's that treasure in us. But Jesus is making the point that before that happens, before that happens, there is some intrinsic worth, there is some basic value that every person has simply because they're made by God and they're made in the image of God and there's not a person you'll ever meet or see that doesn't sort of have the stamp of God, the fingerprints of God on their life. And you can listen to that and say, well, yeah, of course, that's important. I get that. That's, that. that's all good. But let's be honest. It's really easy for us to lose sight of that fact, isn't it? It's really easy for us to lose sight of how valuable people are around us. I mean, you only have to look in the last couple of years at the, why, at the way some white people have talked about brown and black people. You only have to look at the way some wealthy people talk about poorer people. 
You only have to look at the way uh, some people talk about someone else when they cut them off in traffic. You know, when they step in front of them in a supermarket line. Look at the way some people who are vaccinated talk about people who are unvaccinated, you know what I'm saying? Or people who are unvaccinated talk about people who are vaccinated. Look at the way that people talk about someone who made a, a nasty comment on their social media post. Or sometimes just the way they talk about someone who didn't comment on a social media post. My friend didn't tell me how good I look in this shirt. <laughs> My point is that we live in an angry, self-centred and self-righteous world. And I'm not just talking about other people. I'm not just talking about, you know, those people and some people. I'm talking about us. I'm talking about me. I'm serious. This is the world we live in. And it's, it's, there's a part of that in all of us. Jesus came to a world like that. Jesus came to that world. Jesus came to a world where some people saw other people as less valuable and other people as more valuable. Jesus came to a world where people assumed that God saw different people differently. You know, where God saw some people as more valuable and some people as less valuable. Jesus comes into that world and he tells this story to teach people that all people are like treasure in the eyes of God. He teaches this story as a way of saying all people have value to Jesus. All people have value to God. And of course, kind of part B of that is that if you're sitting here, if you're listening to this this morning and you're saying, well, I follow Jesus, well, guess where he leads you? Guess where following Jesus takes you? I want to say as clearly as I can, there is no option for a follower of Jesus to see people as less valuable than God sees them. It doesn't matter what other people believe or think. It doesn't matter what other people say. It doesn't matter what other people do or what they've done to you or to other people. If you're a follower of Jesus... You will never meet a person. You will never hear a person. You will never see online comments from a person who you can treat with anything but the absolute highest value. This is a non-negotiable for a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, this isn't an option this isn't a nice thing to do if you get around to it. This isn't, I'd like to be like that one day. This is a core part of what it is to say, I believe in God and I want to follow God. The way that we treat other people, the value that we see in other people, the value that we give other people is a key part of what it means to say, I'm a follower of Jesus. And I want to say this as clearly as I can. If you ever hear a Christian person telling you otherwise, they're not following God in that moment. And it might sound harsh. They can still believe in God, but in that moment, they're not following the way of Jesus. I'm just trying to make it as clear as I can that this is the way for the people of God. It has always been. This was a really big deal to Jesus. As we said, he talked about this all the time. He taught this 
all the time. He wanted people to get this. And his followers, the people who wrote the rest of the New Testament, and in in 2,000 years since then, this has been a core part of what it is to be Christian. And I know you're going to say, but Matt, it's hard. It's hard to live like that. And I get it, it's hard. It's hard because we live in a world that there are so many voices, that there are so many things kind of pressuring us to think and to act the other way. I get why it's hard. We've got so many voices that are, that, that are telling us that that person at work who doesn't like you, well, they're not as valuable as you are. We've got so many voices telling us uh, that that member of your extended family that you're going to spend Christmas with next week and think, ugh, you know? We've got so many voices that want to tell us that person's not as valuable as you. Got so many voices, uh, you know, and, and other commenters that want to tell you that that person who trolls you online or who says something nasty about you uh, on social, that they're not as important as you, that they're not as special as you. People thought the same thing in Jesus' time. And Jesus steps into that world and Jesus steps into our world and says, but we have a God who sweeps the house, who gets down on his hands and knees and digs around in the dirt to find lost people. Because every person has value to him. Every person is valuable to God. Every person is created in the image of God. Every person has, if you like, the stamp of the king on their lives saying, this one's mine. I love this one. Do you remember in Toy Story? Uh, my kids grew up watching Toy Story. Remember in Toy Story uh, when a toy gets lost and he thinks his owner's not coming to look for him. He thinks he's not valuable. And the other toys seem to say, look on the sole of your shoe. Do you remember that thing? And he looks on the sole of his shoe and there's the name of his owner. And it's a reminder to that toy that that toy matters. And the toy looks at it. Uh, it's Woody, I think. And Woody realises, that's right. He belongs. There's someone who loves him. There's someone who owns him. He belongs. That's what it's like with God. That we have, we, have the stamp, we have the stamp of God on the sole of our foot that says, this one's mine. I love this one. I'll never forget this one. This one belongs to me. And whenever one of those lost people get found, there's a party. You know, last week we had, uh, uh, we had Olivia in this church stand up in front of the church and say that she'd made a decision to give her life to Jesus. And we clapped and we cheered. And I want to tell you, that was just a tiny taste. That was just a, a poor example of what was going on in heaven last Sunday when Olivia said yes to Jesus. There was a full scale like New Year's Eve meets uh, you know, Christmas meets your favourite birthday kind of party going on in heaven when just one person is found, when one lost person comes back to God. I grew up in a church that never went looking for lost people. I grew up in a church uh, where lost people never got found. There was no party in the church that I grew up in, and it was boring. It was boring. I grew up in a church that was, um, was serious and somber 
And do you, you know what I'm talking about? You ever been into a church like that? I grew up in a church like that. It was all serious and it was boring. But I want to tell you, church is not supposed to be boring. Right? Not because of the music or, you know, because of what I'm wearing or anything. Church is, not spo- church is supposed to be a party house. It's supposed to be a party house because it's supposed to be a place where lost people get found and where people join in and celebrate and party. Do you get that? Amen. Right? Church should be a place where you go for a party because lost people are getting found. And I want to tell you as clearly as I can. Tide Church is 100% committed to being that kind of church. We are 100% committed to doing whatever we can to help lost people get found. We've been literally door knocking uh, on local houses this week, handing them information about our Christmas service uh, next Sunday. Not because we want people here in a number sense, but because Christmas is a great time for lost people to get found. Christmas is a time when, when, when lots of people who wouldn't otherwise think about God and the things of God will think about it at Christmas because, you know, there's a little part of everyone that, you know, wants to, uh, you know, be a part of the, you know, the true meaning of Christmas. We will do whatever it takes to help lost people get found so that we can be a part of that party that happens in heaven every time one person gets found. So my invitation to you as a part of this church is to grab a broom, to get sweeping. Let's get down on our hands and our knees and start digging under the couch and let's help lost people get found and let's be a part of the party that happens in heaven when lost people get found, okay? 